0: Counties with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services on newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com. The times four oh one, and you are tuned to WERU FM eighty nine point nine Blue Hill, ninety nine point nine Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. And this is Maine Currents Independent Local News, Views and Culture for Wednesday, March 15th, 2017. I'm Amy Brown. Several dozen people braved the extreme cold in Bangor Saturday for the Democracy Lives in Truth rally in March. It was hosted by Mainers for Accountable Leadership and co-sponsored by Indivisible Bangor, Standing for the Common Good. Bangor Racial and Economic, Justice Coalition, Food and Medicine, and the Peace and Justice Center of Eastern Maine. Today on Maine Currents, we'll bring you to the rally. Kimberly Hamill was the MC. Sean
1: Faircloth is a known member of our community. He was recently mayor of Bangor. He served in the state legislature and he is an activist public servant. He's here today to talk to you all and please welcome him warmly. He has done so much work to get ready for this event tonight, today. And we're very appreciative of him. Sean,
2: thank you.
3: I just want to say thank you because I'm amazed anybody showed up anywhere in this weather on this day, on this incredibly cold day, if we can get this number of people together then a month from now for the same cause we can get a whole lot more people together and I think we should work together to get that done. Because we have an obligation. We are facing a time in history that is unlike any other time possibly since 1972 in the time of Richard Nixon when he won by a landslide for re-election to the presidency. But the reality is that the person who was elected this time did not win a landslide. In fact, he lost by almost three million votes. And we need to be able to stand up for the voice of the American people in a democratic society. And that's really what we're talking about here. You know, a philosopher once said democracy is like sex. When it's good, it's very good, and when it's bad, it's still pretty good. And what we want to do is make sure we can still have it, because it is in doubt, it is in question in this country. Attorney General Sessions, and I hate to use those phrases together, Attorney General Sessions right now is backing away from the enforcements of the Voting Rights Act that protect our ability to vote at all and protect the ability of African Americans to vote at all. So I'm saying we need to organize now because we do not have complete certainty what will be happening next election time to our democracy. Therefore, protest is more important now than it really has been at most any other time in our country's history and so we need to work every day together to organize and there's two issues that I think are critical that we need to consider and discuss and one is Russia. Now some might think well Russia is a faraway place why do we care and the other one is Jeff Sessions. I'll get to him second but let's first talk about Russia for a second. Number one During the campaign, Trump was on record asking Putin to intervene in our election. Number two, America has 17 national security agencies. They are unanimous. All 17 conclude that Russia sought to intervene in our election on Trump's behalf. Number three, and this is something that really is saddening, it might have worked. It might have worked. I don't need to remind you that Hillary Clinton won the support of the American people by nearly three million votes. But Trump won the Electoral College because of three states, Michigan by less than one percent, Pennsylvania by less than one percent, and Wisconsin by less than one percent. The Russian planting of hacked emails and the hullabaloo that surrounded that, I would submit to you very likely, not only very possibly, but very likely switched that less than 1% of the vote. Thus, a foreign government very possibly changed the result of an American election. Number three, Trump and his aides said flat out they had no ties to Russia. Yet, now we have discovered that at least six people in the Trump team have had direct Contacts with the Russian campaign Number four Trump said he had no financial Dealings with Russia But Donald Trump Jr. said In 2008 that the Trump Organization saw and I'm quoting A lot of money Pouring in from Russia Number five, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, rejected by Congress for a judgeship because of his racist racist statements, committed perjury just recently under oath, lying to the American people about not meeting with the Russians when in fact he met a couple of times with top Russian officials. and Sessions are allies working together now and their allies are working now in state legislature after state legislature undermining voting rights and working on voter suppression as we speak. We cannot let the extremists in Congress handle this investigation. Indeed, the chair of the committee, that would be charged with investigating these matters was already found to have colluded with the White House on trying to brush this issue aside. We need a federal special counsel, totally independent, to investigate this matter. And listen to this. I agree with George W. Bush, who said, who said about the Trump campaign, we all need answers about the ties to Russia. This, we are the moderates. When George W. Bush is saying we need answers, we're the moderates, and people who don't seek an independent counsel, they are the extremists. We need to act to protect our country. The special counsel, the special counsel would have access through subpoena power to Donald Trump's tax tax records in order to find out what were his financial ties to Russia, and did he violate the Emoluments Clause, which many constitutional experts say he, in fact, already did. We must not let up on this. And Jeff Sessions is a pivot point in this, which uh, leads us to our second requirement of our members of Congress. We must require that our federal delegation demand an independent counsel. And secondly, when we look at Jeff Sessions, we do not need to be experts in the law to understand what he has done and what he has said. As U.S. Attorney... 30 years ago, Jeff Sessions was talking over a case in the 1980s with two fellow prosecutors. A young black man had been kidnapped, brutally murdered by two KKK members. They slit his throat and hung his body from a tree. Sessions heard that some of these Klansmen had smoked marijuana, and Jeff Sessions said, Well, I thought the KKK was okay until I found out they smoked pot. That is what he said. He also said that the NAACP and the ACLU were, and I'm quoting, un-American and communist inspired organizations. Jeff Sessions was rejected in 1986 for a federal judgeships, and I would submit to you that it doesn't take a liberal to know that. It takes a moderate Republican. But what is a real moderate Republican? Let's look in the 1980s and find out. Republican Senator Mac Mathias was known as the conscience of the Senate in those years, and he was a Republican and Republican Senator Matthias was a true moderate. Senator Matthias did not go as some people tend to do and say, "Well, I'm going to vote for injustice in committee and then I'll vote for justice on the floor when it doesn't matter anymore." that's not what senator Mathias did this moderate republican senator said flat out i'm going to oppose this man and he was rejected in committee that's how a moderate should behave that's how a republican moderate should behave that's what we need to see and we demand We demand that our federal delegation simply follow the advice of George W. Bush's ethics lawyer who said Sessions was not truthful and that he, quote, cannot continue as Attorney General. Again, that's the ethics lawyer for George W. Bush. We're the moderates. We're the ones asking for what is obvious and what is rational. And when you talk about the conscience of the Senate, we know who was the conscience of the Senate this time. Mac Mathias was back in the 80s. Well, I'll tell you, Elizabeth Warren was the conscience of the Senate. This time, she was the one. If you want to find a woman senator with an independent voice, I'll give you Elizabeth Warren. And who was Elizabeth Warren quoting when she was shut down, when she was silenced? She was quoting Coretta Scott King. Coretta Scott King, the wife of Martin Luther King, And Coretta Scott King came forward. She came to the Senate back in the 1980s. And she said, and I'm quoting, that if Sessions got this federal position, it would, quote, do irreparable harm to my husband's work, to Martin Luther King's work. And Coretta Scott King was exactly right. So when so-called moderates say, oh, never mind, never mind, don't worry about what he said, you know, making jokes about lynching and slashing throats in the 1980s. He's such a nice, soft-spoken guy now, right now. Right now, Jeff Sessions is moving away from the enforcement provisions of the Voting Rights Act. The enforcement provisions of the Voting Rights Act that Congressman John Lewis was marching across that Pettus Bridge for, that he got his head cracked for. We can't stand for this. We have to stand up against this kind of behavior. Jeff Sessions, as AG, as Attorney General, leads the Department of Justice the Department of Justice. And that building, I used to walk with my son, Declan, past that building all the time to the American History Museum. That building is called the Robert F. Kennedy Building. Now, Robert F. Kennedy was not a perfect person. Everybody has flaws, but I'll tell you what, when African-Americans came to him in May of 1963, some of them, someone flat out yelled at Robert Kennedy and said your brother's not doing enough. He's not doing enough for African-Americans. He needs to stand up more and Robert Kennedy got defensive. Robert Kennedy said, you know, hey, like I am, he said, we're Irish-Americans. Irish-Americans, they had no no, uh, Irish need apply signs and the African-Americans are saying, no, you don't understand. This is slavery. This is a little more serious than that. And Robert Kennedy got defensive about it, but then after that meeting, he went to his brother, the President of the United States, and he said, "You must introduce this civil rights bill." And against the advice of all his other advisors, JFK did introduce the Civil Rights Bill, and Martin Luther King said it was one of the great positive moments in American history. And less than six months later, less than six months, months later, John F. Kennedy was dead. And Robert Kennedy, along with Martin Luther King, became a great focal points. Focal points of idealism and focus and justice in this country. And during that time, we sometimes can't be cognizant of what it must have felt like to be those two men. Because according to verified FBI reports... Those two men got more death threats than any other non-presidents in American history, and neither one of them had Secret Service protection. So they knew every day when they got up that there might be a guy with a high-powered rifle or with a pistol in a kitchen that might shoot them dead. And as we know, though they had this foreknowledge that their life was every day in danger and that ultimately they lost their lives to exactly that, they got up every day. They got up every day and spoke for justice for this country. They spoke for civil rights for this country. And we owe it to them to get Jeff Session out of Bobby Kennedy's office. He does not belong. He does not belong. He does not belong in Bobby Kennedy's office. And he must leave. And we must demand that our federal delegation get him out. If we got to impeach him, we're going to get him out. And let me tell you something else let me tell you something else a republican again a top aide to john kasich said this about steve bannon in the white house this is a right-wing republican who said this the racist Fascist extreme right is represented footsteps from the Oval Office be very vigilant America we are the moderates those republicans I respect who stand up and tell the truth about what is happening in this country because this is not normal this is not what happens in a democratic society you know remember all this about oh they're implying Hillary lied and certainly Mr. Putin wanted to help imply that Hillary lied well according to the Pulitzer Prize-winning PolitiFact, they did an analysis, and Trump, literally, according to PolitiFact, Trump lies 70% of the time he is speaking. 70% 70% of the time he's saying words, lies are coming out of his mouth. And, and the fact checker for the Washington Post, the professional fact checker for the Washington Post said in his entire career, there is no politician who even comes close to the lies of Donald Trump. This is not what America is about. This is different. And when you combine that with the Steve Bannon and his fascist philosophy and someone who makes lying a daily practice, we have to worry about what is happening In the history of this world Because I got back a couple years ago From Turkey Turkey which was a democratic nation And is now run by an authoritarian government Hungary, Poland Of course Russia which was briefly democratic And now We hear from intelligence reports that Mr. Putin is not done. He has his sights set on democracy in Germany. He doesn't like having democracy in Germany. He wants to see something else and he's willing to do exactly what he did here over in Germany. Hungary, the Philippines, Venezuela. There is a trend of authoritarianism across this world that we have not seen in many decades and it is extremely ominous. Do we know what's going to happen? We don't know what the result will be. But we know as patriotic Americans that now, exactly now, is the time we need to stand up. And I said about Bobby Kennedy uh, being an Irish American and my son's here, and I'm proud. I'm proud to be uh, an Irish American. And uh, St. Patrick's Day is coming up in a few days. And, you know, there have been... Lots of uh, Irish-Americans, good and bad, just like all types of people are good and bad. And back in the days of the 1950s, we had an Irish-American named Joe McCarthy, and he was one mean son of a bitch. (laughs) And he was only a senator. And now we've got someone who acts and behaves like Joe McCarthy, who is in the White House, and we have to get him out. We have to get him out. And I want you... And I want you to know something... I hope you all have a great time on St. Patrick's Day. My dad, uh, the other day, had a stroke, and uh, he's had a very tough time, and, and uh, our celebration of St. Patrick's Day, I'll be out visiting him, I won't be here in Bangor, w- will be a tougher than our usual St. Patrick's Day. But one thing uh, my father taught me, and that I hope that my son will also remember, when he's not texting over there, is that <laughs> 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 but one thing I hope that he would remember, is that there's no use in being Irish, and in my view, there's no use in being an American unless you're ready to stand up a bully. And that's what we're seeing is a bully. You know, we've had great leaders in this country. My father, my father, who's an elderly man, he saw in person Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He saw Franklin Roosevelt speak out for the vulnerable. He saw the Kennedys speak out for the vulnerable. And that is our job. When Trump goes around and talks like a man, he acts like talking like a man is somehow talking trash about women or grabbing them without their permission. Well, I thought there might be a different standard of being a man. Where if you're trying to find out what you should do as a man, you go help others who need help. You help, the, you give a hand up. You speak out for the vulnerable if that's what you want to be. You want to be a man? That's what it requires. So I'm asking everyone in this room, we've got to organize. I am impressed that you folks come out here on one of the coldest days. And you know, there was a fella out there at West Market Square. I know him. I've known him for many years. He's a strong Trump supporter, and he took a picture of a bitter, cold, gr- Uh, group of folks gathered out there in West Market Scare and you can be guaranteed he'll post on Facebook and say oh look at that boy that's not enough people but I tell you what in a month from now we're going to have another gathering just like this and we're going to blow the doors off of we're going to call every one of our friends and they're going to see a gathering in this city like they've never seen and what we're going to ask them to do is every single person in this room I'm asking you not only to make the calls let's make the calls To the congressional offices, let's make the calls to our Senate offices and let us not relent. But let's also plan together, everyone in this room, to circulate our names, to make sure we all know who each other are, so that we can have a crowd ten times this in about a month's time that speaks out for these very issues. This is a long issue. You know, in 1972, when I was a little boy, Richard Nixon won by a landslide. Won every state but one in the union. A year and a half later, he was gone from the White House because the American people demanded justice, and that is what we're going to do. Let's work on that together and never relent.
0: That was Sean Faircloth speaking in Bangor Saturday. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU. I'm Amy Brown. We return now to the speakers at Saturday's Democracy Lives in Truth rally. It was organized by Mainers for Accountable Leadership and co-sponsored by several other local groups.
1: I'm Kimberly Hamill, and I'm an organizer with the racial—sorry, uh, the Bangor Racial and Economic Justice Coalition. I'm a lifelong Mainer. I'm a mother. My daughter is right here. Give her a hand. She's been helping me all day. Um, and I work as a children's behavioral health and a mental health counselor. The Bangor Racial and Economic Justice Coalition, in the last two years, have led, sponsored, and supported more than 40 direct actions in Penobscot Valley, and I'm very proud of that. Okay, raise your hand if you're feeling some kind of pain about the November election. Everyone in the room. (laughs) Raise your hand if you have concerns about the ethics of the last presidential election. Raise both hands if you want those concerns addressed. Thank you. Stomp your feet if you're a Mainer who will stand up for voting rights. Now raise your hand if for generations your family has experienced this kind of pain and uncertainty. Oh, not as many hands at all. Let's take a second and make space to acknowledge that this is a privilege. This is a new fear for some of us. Thank you. If you're feeling pain in this moment, please acknowledge that you feel it. Do you feel it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It is painful. Then ask yourself what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Stand up, fight back. back. Do what we're doing right now. Exactly. The decision, this decision, the decision to actively address the pain, to not ignore it, to not reject it, is a revolutionary act. Sitting here today is a revolutionary act. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm asking you all to revolt. You ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Go ahead. (laughs) It's in all of our self-interest to stop denying that something is wrong. something is wrong wrong. my objective here is to help folks be more conscious of themselves today be more conscious of the fact that you are in pain this bothers you yes it does you're going to use your feelings and your experiences to know feel it now to know this is how you end depression this right here is how you end depression Because you don't fight oppression by oppressing other people. You don't make them wrong so we can be right. And we don't fight oppression through anger and hatred, though we are angry right now, though our voting rights are at risk right now. We take the pain and we use it, right? right? All right. Anger and hatred are not able to be used logically and sensibly. We take it and we use it to motivate us. So here today, we're going to ask ourselves, what do we want to do? We fight oppression by admitting it's happening. Who's willing to admit oppression is happening right now, today, in our community, in our country? Raise your hands. Admit it. You fight by using the people in this space, the people here today, the justice organizations in this room today, of which the Bangor Racial and Economic Justice Coalition is only one. We use each other, this community, to stay grounded and to stay focused now. You start by confronting that pain that you feel, and you allow yourself to be called into action. You allow yourself to be called. You end oppression by healing from it. When you allow yourself to be called, you're healing from it. You're listening to yourself. You're acknowledging the reality of the situation. Self-care in a world that is oppressing us is a revolutionary act. Whatever you do for yourself to heal your own pain as a revolutionary act. Whatever you do to take care of yourself in the midst of the pain and the fear you're experiencing is a revolutionary act. I'm Kimberly Hamill, and I'm representing the Bangor Racial and Economic Justice Coalition, and I'm glad to take part in this event. The the Bangor Racial and Economic Justice Coalition is a group of concerned citizens from the Penobscot Valley who've organized for a more economically sustainable, culturally vibrant, and racially just community. Our next meeting is on the 29th at 6 p.m. at the Peace and Justice Center. We think that will be announced if there's any change. General meetings are held the last week of the month, and people come to practice skills and connect with each other, and to be called into action like this, to think about what do you need to do? What do you need to do for yourself? What do you need to do for your community? And that's what we do in our groups. We have affinity groups. They're a rapid response network, an accountability network, a leadership committee, a grassroots organizing campaign committee, and a soul work church organizing network. Real quick, I want to express some love and appreciation for those of you who have met- mentally committed to taking actions tonight that address your own pain. Thank you for your courage. All right. Next, we're going to welcome Michael Corlo. Corlu, sorry. Uh, Michael is from Indivisible Bangor. He is a volunteer social media coordinator for the Indivisible Bangor group, and sadly, he's not paid by Soros or anyone else to protest. Yeah. Woo!
4: Hey. Thank you, thank you. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah good, good. Um, so, I'm with Indivisible Bangor. We are a grassroots group organizing around the belief that the survival of our democracy depends on regular. Active and truthful communication between the American people and its government. Sadly, the bonds of trust that sustain our democracy have been broken by a series of lies. Lies by this administration with the intent of covering up connections between them and Russia. A country that by all appearances colluded with the Trump campaign to influence the election. We in the Indivisible Movement are not special. We are retirees. We're teachers, social workers, students, laborers. But we are exactly what is needed for these times, ordinary people willing to speak out, I have a degree in American history and uh, with a focus on labor history, so I end up thinking a lot about past struggles and what they can teach us. And so I think about things like Everett Washington in 1916, when a group of the industrial workers of the world were confronted by a mob of armed thugs with, uh, who had gathered with the intent of breaking their strike and stopping their protest. The thugs, with their guns pointed at the union, ask, who's the leader here? The union, in one voice, replied, we are all leaders here. So the media has raised a lot of concerns about our movement. They worry that there's no clear leader and that we're going to fall apart. To the media, I echo those words from a hundred years ago, we are all leaders here. We must take this to heart going forward. We must give ourselves permission to be leaders, and we must accept that extraordinary responsibility. Our democracy cannot afford to wait for some distant knight in shining armor to come and save it. In this metaphor, we are the knights. Truth is our armor, and we are right here. So let's get to it. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? And so, I want to invite you to a couple of things. First of all, uh, our Indivisible Bangor meetings are twice a month. Uh, Our next meeting is... Wednesday, March twenty second, five p.m. at CoSpace. There we gather together and we plan group actions. We will also be having uh, this week a or on the twenty second a training from the center on popular democracy. Second, I want to invite you to a protest on April fifteenth, Tax Day, to demand Trump release his tax returns. (laughs) Those taxes may very well be the key to unlocking more of these Russian connections. And we will be in good company. Protests are planned in 40 states and over 100 cities around the world, including places like Japan and New Zealand. Now I know this struggle can be daunting, and I know you're tired. But make no mistake, we are having an impact. Because you, the people, have been on the streets and in your representatives' offices and faces when they don't meet with you, we still have an independent uh, office of government ethics, much to the chagrin of the GOP. We have killed plans to sell off three million acres of federal land. We have caused a Trump staff member to resign, a nominee to withdraw, an attorney general to recuse himself. Now, obviously, there's a lot of fight left to fight. Being in the streets and being loud is the key. I look forward to seeing you there.
1: Thanks, Michael. Our last speaker is Stacey Leafsong, representing Standing Up for the Common Good, as well as Mainers for Accountable Leadership. Stacey lives in Hancock County and represents these groups, and we're so thankful for the work and the strong support that these organizations have given our communities. Standing for the Common Good is a heart-based action group for the common good focused on the 2nd Congressional District of Maine. Thank you.
5: Hey there. So, we are in extreme times of greed, where man has indeed become the tyrant of us all. A time fueled by the beasts of corporations, ridden by man, raising to means of great disparity of wealth and elitism at the expense of everything and everyone else. A greed that no now merges with a foreign dictatorship that threatens the entire world. Where are the checks and balances of man and greed? For nothing slakes his hunger there and wets his thirst as we watch it consume our country, our species, our womanhood, our children, our wild lands, our diversity of peoples other than his own image, our environment, our wild animals, our air, our water, our soil, our earth. The hands of authoritarian dictatorship are grasping our greatest gift of democracy, the heart of our country, that many a generation have given toil, sweat, grief and tears, mingled with horrors and hardships by all of our ancestors, indigenous and immigrated alike. I am a Mayflower descendant, a revolutionary daughter, grandmothers who carried through the years with the daughters of the American Revolution, ancestors that lived in Salem and were tried and condemned at witch trials. What do we carry from this ancestral history of the U.S. that makes us a nation? What gift does, it, does its one knowledge bring us now? Like in the words of Abigail Adams, man will be a tyrant if he can. And it is woman that will bring the charge, the battle cry for change, to protect our democracy, for our children, we will accept no less. This movement started eons ago, but in recent days, since the election, women are carrying the torches of light to not settle in darkness, but to only persist into the illumination of truth. From the candidacy of our first woman, President Hillary Clinton, who did win, (laughs) and Women's March on the United States. To a Pantsuit Nation, to our electeds like Elizabeth Warren and Maxine Waters and Camilla Harris and Kirsten Gillibrand and our own Shelley Pingree. To the weekly actions I see women standing up for in democracy in this time of emergency for all we hold dear in the only way we know how. We women, like democracy, have had our hours of perishing into darkness from man's narcissism, abuse, greed, and hubris. Had it not been for the light within leading us forward to justice, we would not have found our way. The place in us of no compromise. In that place, there is only life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, whereby, for, and of all people is the knowing we hold deep within us for our nation, for our world, the knowing that democracy is not a luxury, but an essential human right that must exist for us all. The knowing. Thank (laughs) you. The knowing that man's greed must be checked and balanced and redirected for the common good, for all to prosper. We call our shared cry. It has resonance throughout our land. We will not be silenced. We will shatter warnings with our convictions for truth. We will persist for our country, for our planet, for our children, for ourselves. This is our grand act to save us the U.S. of A. And our act is a revolutionary act of love. (laughs) So I work with two groups. One of them is Mainers for Accountable Leadership. And I'm going to read to you a little bit uh, just a summary of our mission statement. Um, And we're a statewide group of newly engaged and experienced activists. Our mission is to change the dynamic between Maine's federal elected officials, two senators, and two members of the House, so they are fully transparent, responsive, and accountable to Maine voters and our deeply held values. We expect and ask that, that, that they will be transparent about how they intend to vote, about who they meet with, and about who gives them money accessible to their constituent, not just donors, lobbyists, and interest groups, yeah. leaders standing up to the best interest of Mainers, putting the interests of the people to Maine and the country above a party allegiance, Principled, supporting, speaking out on, acting legislatively in ways consistent with the values most Mainers hold dear. Values like equality, diversity, civil rights, democracy, protecting the environment, and reducing inequality. Honest, condemning lies, alternative facts, untruths, conducting regular investigations of potentially illegal or corrupt activity in the executive branch and Congress. Our fundamental goal is to restore responsive and accountable democracy in the United States, starting where we live, here in the state of Maine. And additionally, the other group that I have started formed here with some other activists is called Standing for the Common Good. And we are actively engaging in heart-based activities in our communities in Maine. We're focused primarily in the northern half of the state to cultivate and grow community service that seeks to better the quality of all life in our state. And MFAL and Standing for the Common Good stand here today with Bangor Racial and Economic Justice Coalition, Indivisible Bangor, Food and Medicine, and the Peace and Justice Center. We join in the demand for an independent investigation of ties between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. This happened during our election. And. I believe it's happening now. Agenda and policy are being influenced by Russia right now. So it's not just before, during the election, it's actually to this day. And that we join in the demand for the immediate removal of Attorney General Jeff Sessions. He's got to go. And- we at MFAL and Standing for the Common Good have daily calls to action, weekly delegate office visits to voice constituent concerns, meetings with delegates, events, rallies, and more. And we are doing something just about every day of the week now. So please join us. Look us up and find us, or, well, please yeah, take part. Thank you. <laughs>
1: You would like to say a few words?
6: I'm Jim Varner. I'm a president, volunteer president of the Maine Human Rights Coalition. And as a person of color, I could not just sit here and not say a few words with how I feel uh, to have my pink brothers and sisters in this struggle, which we have been struggling all, all of existence here in America. Uh, And I'm hoping that uh, we will be committed as we leave uh, this meeting hall to do what we can with our neighbors, our friends, uh, to invite them in to uh, help uh, this cause. Uh, And uh, I can't tell you how I feel about Donald Trump. I was in a meeting this morning, the uh, Democratic uh, Committee meeting, and uh, I just express, uh, you know, my feelings as a, as a person of color, being fearful for what Donald Trump uh, is doing. He showed us, he's showing us who he is by putting Sessions in that position, making him a chief policeman in, in this country. It's shameful, it's shameful. We know where he's coming from, and we just need to do what we can. Don't sit here and hear what's being said and not really put your bodies on the line to get out there and come and join our ranks with this sister here and and her team uh, to, to make our feelings and our voices known. It's a matter of life and death for all of us. I'm sure that in Germany there were people who f- felt that Hitler w- was the wrong person, but they were not able to react because the Gestapo would come and get them. We have the privilege of meeting like we're here, we're doing here uh, this, this afternoon and doing something about it before it's too late. And I, I thank you for, you know... Uh, giving us this opportunity, so let's be active. Let's support the cause, and let's right on, brothers and sisters. Thanks,
1: James.
0: Those were some of the speakers at a rally in Bangor Saturday that was hosted by Mainers for Accountable Leadership and co-sponsored by Indivisible Bangor, standing for the Common Good, Bangor Racial and Economic Justice Coalition, Food and Medicine, and the Peace and Justice Center of Eastern Maine. This is Maine Currents on weru I'm Amy Brown. Several towns in Maine have joined others across the country in adopting what are known as welcoming city resolutions. Today, we're going to talk with a few of the organizers from across the state, starting with Nicole Luttrell. Nicole is a filmmaker, mother, and adjunct faculty member in the Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies program at UMaine. We spoke with her back in January on our show leading up to the women's marches. She's back now to talk about the uh, resolution she initiated in Belfast. Welcome back to Maine Currents, Nicole.
7: Thank you so much, Amy.
0: So can you just give a general sense? I know they're different from town to town, but overall, what are these resolutions about?
7: Yeah, these resolutions are about affirming a community's values around inclusivity, diversity, respect, and security for everybody. And that includes residents of those communities and visitors to those communities.
0: Are you all following a similar template, uh, or where does it kind of what is the genesis of the movement?
7: Well, I can't speak specifically for the other towns, but I can tell from my review of those resolutions that each one is unique to that community, that there are some connecting points um, you know, as I was describing around um, the emphasis around uh, valuing inclusivity, diversity, and security for all, but each town—it's really, it's really interesting and fascinating to be to be um, witnessing this. Is really coming up with um, res- really coming up with resolutions that um, you know are reflective and characterize their own unique community.
0: So, can you give a general sense of what the one in in Belfast entails or would entail?
7: Sure. Um, it's actually one of the broader ones. And, um, we definitely took inspiration from San Francisco's sanctuary city proposal. Um, ours is not a sanctuary city. It's a welcoming city. And some of that has to do with, um, you know, the size of our city compared to San Francisco and funding considerations. Um, as uh, as you may know, um, there is actually a bill um, in Congress right now to um, do more oversight around sanctuary cities um, and to revoke funding for those that don't comply. Um, so our proposal, along with some of the other proposals of the people you're going to hear from, from those towns, are welcoming city proposals. Um, but ours is like I said, uh, fairly broad. It's really, um, we, start our, we, we start our resolution off with a focus on women's rights and security. And I think um, I personally can connect to that, you know, obviously as a woman, um, but also feeling um, dire concerns um, about the level of violence against women in, um, in the state of Maine and also across the country. Um, but the resolution also focuses on uh, communities of color and inclusivity and security around that, um, around immigrants and undocumented residents. Um, we really try to call attention to um, our diverse heritage in Belfast and the fact that um, you know the land here uh, was um, was inhabited and you know, still has residents of um, Native American and indigenous communities. And um, we also focus on um, the LGBT LGBT community and, um, you know, uh, affirming uh, rights um, and also uh, security and respect um, for members of that community in this community of Belfast. And we also look at the environment as well and our role and responsibility around that. And the best way for me to describe this document is that it's an upstander document. It's saying our community is not only welcoming um, of all these diverse groups and demographics and populations, but um, that we are, we're going to stand up for each other in, in the ways um, that we describe in this document.
0: And where do things stand with the process in Belfast?
7: Um, We hope to be appearing uh, in front of the city council soon, possibly as soon as next week, to make our formal appeal. We have garnered the support of over 500 citizens individually, and we are nearing uh, the support of almost 40 businesses and organizations.
0: And any words of advice before we move on to uh, our next guest about what you might say to someone from another community that's thinking about doing something like this, any lessons learned so far?
7: Well, I think it's helpful to work within the context of a group. For example, um, I am doing this as part of a group, BELFEM, which um, I'm a part of, and that was founded, um, co-founded with Lindsay Piper, who is a nurse practitioner um, at the Mabel Wadsworth Center and a resident of Belfast. And I think doing it within a group um, where, you know, you have a team that you're working with is really important. I think it's also important to follow that impulse. I mean, this was a very strong, strong impulse that I personally had, um, you know, after the election um, with my own feelings of concern, with friends, family, other community members' feelings of concern from the different communities I noted, and, um, And I think it's important to follow that impulse um, to do something.
0: All right. Um, Thanks. All right. Thanks for joining us today, Nicole.
7: Thank you so much for covering this, Amy.
0: And we're joined next by Becca Shaw-Glazer. She's from Rockland. Uh, Becca is a gardener, a writer, editor, teacher, artist, and activist, and co-author and editor of the book, Mindful Occupation, Rising Up Without Burning Out. She's been instrumental in the organizing work for Rockland's resolution of a commitment to an open, respectful, healthy community. Uh, And she lives in Rockland, of course. So uh, welcome, Becca. Hi, We have you there. Great. And can you say a little bit about why you've been involved in this? What are your, you heard, I'm sure you are on the line, you heard Nicole's reasons, and then probably there, there are similarities and differences with all of you that I'll be talking with today, but what are your personal motivations behind getting involved in trying to get something like this passed in Rockland?
2: Well, as always there. Are multiple reasons. I think initially I felt this sense of um, having grown up in mid-coast Maine, and it felt like there was generally a culture in the schools of uh, racism being tolerated sexism and homophobia and certainly transphobia and classism and i felt particularly right now it felt like a time in which rockland might actually make the public statement like this i think that times have changed and that we as a whole don't tolerate the kind of uh bigotry that used to be around here so my feeling was let's let's state it really clearly and let's make that clear to people who want to visit, people who want who are here to feel safer. We know that attacks have been happening locally, and it felt really important to me to get involved and try to get to get a formal declaration of that kind of support. And I also think that where I want to go from here is that it just passed on Monday, which was so fantastic. So we're really celebrating in Auckland, but. What's happened is that a lot of people have gotten involved in this process, some of whom have um, not really had their voices heard in public forums before. And I think are really excited to work on a lot of the things so that the resolution doesn't become just symbolic, but also becomes on the ground organizing where we really do work to have more of a trans-friendly environment locally, where we're working on anti-racism and immigration rights and working against poverty and things like that.
0: All right, well, just real quickly, because we're running short on time, unfortunately, do you have any words of advice or wisdom from this experience that you'd like to share with people in other communities that may be considering something like this? Definitely.
2: Start with the strongest version, start with your vision. And if you, I mean, the people in government might cut it down, but let them cut it down and not you. So start with the strongest thing you can get past, and also. If you don't know any groups, make your own group. You can start with two or three people, can do a lot of work, especially in Maine, in these small towns. We can have a lot of impact, so don't be afraid to empower yourself. And also stick with intersectional solidarity. Don't leave anyone out.
0: All right. Becca Shaw-Glazer from Rockland, thank you for joining us on Maine Currents today. Thanks, Amy. Up next, we have Elizabeth Goodrich. Elizabeth has lived in Appleton for almost 35 years, where she's raised a family, farmed, and taught at the village school. She's also lived in Canada, studied uh, French in Paris, and earned her master's degree at UMaine. And she says she would not until recently have considered herself political at all. So welcome to Maine Currents, Elizabeth.
8: Thank you, Amy. Yes, um, I've gotten very political lately
0: been and motivated
8: and motivated yes uh, what my husband and i uh, actually were beginning to be alarmed before the election and we had um, we had kkk flyers distributed and um right. thrown into driveways in our little town of appleton which has about a thousand residents so we're a small town we're in a different situation than um the other uh women who spoke um we're a very small town and this was I felt an alarming direction for things to go around here. And so my husband and I got involved with the Wood Stove Alliance in Camden uh, uh, after the election, a group of people that were just trying to figure out what can we do, and the idea of the resolution came up, and we thought, we'll write one for Appleton. And being as it was a small town and very different in the situation, not any businesses, our resolution could at once be very simple and uh, and something that, that... we felt that could appeal to everyone. We didn't feel we needed to go into uh, enormous detail. And I can read the resolution. It's very short.
0: I, we're if we pretty, have time. Yeah, I think we actually are pretty uh, short on time. Okay. Unfortunately, we have to go to Betsy next, but um, I can post some of these if people are interested sure. on the archives of today's sure. show. It's really so, only, only
8: a couple of paragraphs. So um, we were able to just address the issue generally of the respect and dignity of all people and Civil discourse and to honor diversity in all forms, and we brought it into the uh, the town uh, meeting, the select board, uh, for you know to just give them give them our thoughts, and they were very enthusiastic. The enthusiasm was greater than we had even expected, and one selectman said, "Let's put this on the town report." So that uh, we thought, well, maybe this will go to a town vote, and they said, "No, I think there's nothing controversial in here. People all want, <laughs> we all want to be this kind of
0: town." So it was adopted immediately.
8: Yeah, it was. It was adopted immediately, and people. We want this to be a place where people are welcome and feel safe.
0: All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, Elizabeth. I wish we had more time. Appreciate it. And one last person, just real quickly before we wrap up for the day, is Betsy Sweet, who is from Hollowell. She's lived there for about thirty-five years. She's a mom of three daughters, two of whom are Cambodian, and she says she's been working for civil rights and social justice in the Maine Legislature for thirty-five years. Welcome, Betsy. Hi, Amy. Thanks yeah. for having me on. Thanks, Thanks for joining for us. Yeah. You have a good, clear connection, although I understand that you are stuck in another state, and one of the victims of the uh, the storm and all the flight cancellations.
9: Yes, that's okay, though.
0: <laughs> so we just have uh, literally about Very two nice. minutes left, so I want to sure. just let you say whatever you'd like to say about how things went in Hollowell and any thing you'd like to offer anyone who's considering this in their own towns.
9: Well, I think it, it was a wonderful experience, and again, a place, as, as all the previous women have said, a way to affirm who we are and to make sure that not only the people who look at us from the outside or who come visit or who want to move to Hollowell know that it's safe and welcoming, but people in our own communities. I think if you haven't been on the receiving end of um, discrimination and hate based on your ethnicity or any, anything, for that matter, it's really hard to understand exactly what the fear is, and I've sort of seen it for my own kids. In Holloway, which is a wonderful town and, you know, incredibly supportive and loving. So, but I think as we sort of see each day, this new apocalypse of awfulness, you know, (laughs) that we, that we see every day seems to unfold is doing nothing for so many of us is not an option. And I think people are looking for a way to affirm who we really are, affirm our shared values and find that common ground among people who may disagree on a lot of specific policies, but who basically want us to know, you know, want to affirm together that. We are kind, loving, wonderful people, and we will all want to be safe in our communities and keep our kids safe and show our kids what it's like to grow up in a place that values, not just not just tolerates, but values and love, diversity, and all the beautiful things that so many people who are diverse and eccentric and different um, offer to a community. So I think that's been a really huge um, result of this and a, an affirmation of this.
0: And where is it in the process in Hollowell? We passed it on Valentine's Day. We're the City of Love. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> yeah. So we
9: passed it. Um, it was. It was. Uh, we did have one dissenting counselor, but it was a. It was a lovely outpouring of um, kids and older people and religious people and regular citizens um, to say yes, that this is who we are and affirm it um, again for people who might not know that about Hallwell. Or for people who are feeling unsafe in our own towns. Again, given the sort of apocalypse of is happening that's happening on a national
0: level. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for
9: having me. And again, thanks for covering this. We really appreciate it.
0: That was Betsy Sweet of Hollowell. Before that, Elizabeth Goodrich of Appleton, Becca Shaw Glazer of Rockland, and Nicole Nutrello of Belfast all are working on their own town's versions of welcoming city resolutions. And that's all we have time for today. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture on WERUF I'm Amy Brown, Joel Mann, engineer today's program. You can reach us at news at weru.org and join us here every Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Stay tuned now for Democracy Now! coming up next, followed by Jazz Straight Ahead, here on your community radio station, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org.
4: Support for WERU comes from Maine Farmland Trust, a member supported non